You're listening to the IHOPKC Family Connect podcast. In these 30-minute family conversations, fueled by the Word of God, the beauty of Jesus, and His glorious return, we will explore the narratives the Lord is weaving in the story of the global body of Christ as we digest what the Lord is saying to the church today. Well, hello and welcome. My name is David Slyker. This is the IHOPKC podcast. I'm here with Isaac Bennett. Hello. Dana Candler. Hello. We are your host this week for the conversation that we're having around Song of Solomon, continuing it. Um, I've loved this unfolding conversation we've been having. It's just got twists and turns to it and beauty and delight and the love of Jesus and how He feels about us and our weakness. And then, of course, last week, Isaac, the lead pastor of Forerunner Church, and Dana, our husband, Matt, the prayer directors here at the International House of Prayer University that's hosting this podcast, and me, David Slyker, I'm the president of IHOPU, and we've just been having a conversation around um, Song of Solomon, the beauty of God, but then last week, we kind of shifted it into, okay, the Song of Solomon is a journey that takes us somewhere, and it's not just individual and devotional, though that is powerful. The Song of Solomon is a picture of where the Lord's taking His church, where he's taking us, not just me. And where he wants to take us is, is into a profound, mature, deep, loyal expression of love, which we like that part. We like the idea of, I, I can relate with the immaturity, immature love, sincere, real, but immature, self-centered in chapter one. I can relate with that. But the promise of the Song of Solomon that I'm going to come out of my immaturity into mature love that's, that's more uh, deep and real and profound, real love for Jesus, real passion for Jesus that's not self-centered and selfish. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love the promise of mature love. But then the Lord in Song of Solomon goes, well, it's not just mature love in the generic sense. It's mature love expressed by deep loyalty and commitment and passion for my church. It's mature love I'm going to bring you into that looks like my love. Oh, I like that. No, it looks like my love as I love people that don't love me back well, and they mistreat me, and they wound me, and they hurt me by the way that they act and the way that they act towards one another. They grieve me. If somebody's going, wait, how can God be hurt? Again, Ephesians, don't grieve the Spirit. It is possible to grieve the Spirit with our speech in the way that we talk about one another. That hurts the Lord. We hurt Him in the way that we talk about one another. He loves people that hurt Him. Another example of how we hurt the Lord, another passage, uh, Peter and Paul talk about it. They, uh, Paul uses the term long-suffering. Peter uses the term bear long. The Lord suffers long with us in our weakness and brokenness and sin. It hurts Him. The Lord bears long with us, 2 Peter 3. He bears long with our non-repentance and our disobedience. He's bearing with us. He's long-suffering towards us. He is grieved at times about us, but loves us profoundly and is committed to us, which brings us now kind of up to speed. Therefore, He is committed to bring us into mature love, which demands... This is where we left off last time, as an absolute necessity in our Christian walk. But it's probably the least talked about element of our Christian walk. 
It is the absolute necessity for us to come into our fullness, our destiny, and our calling in God. Not preacher, not apostle, not business leader, not super successful Cyrus giver. Our destiny in God as a profound lover of His church. It is not possible to get to where God wants to take us apart from chapter 3 of Song of Solomon, divine discipline. So that's the setup. Wow. So what if we could see divine discipline in such a aspect of the Lord's love? Like what if it came under as it is <laughs> biblically over and over? This is because I love you, you know? But what if our hearts could move in the direction so much that we could receive it like we would receive when he comes with the kind of experiences that we really do love, you know, when we feel tender in our hearts by the Holy Spirit or that passage came alive and revelation. What if we could shift to such a degree that we could receive that discipline like, Jesus, you love me so much. You know, turn to our friends. The Lord's, he's meeting me right now. Like, really, like it is, he loves me. You know, like it's that kind of shift that we need. Because we're, we're so not used to seeing the divine discipline like that. Well, I mean, we know that it's a possibility in grace. How do we know? We know that she goes from fear and possibly despising divine discipline. Probably for the same reasons that we do, because of shame, because of condemnation, because of fear of failure because of our own prideful perfectionism and our desire to do it right and not need to be corrected. And so we see correction as such a negative versus a necessity. But, but the, the glory of the Song of Solomon is she's so soundly converted by the perfect leadership of Christ in love that she goes from fearing and despising the discipline to inviting it into her life in chapter 416. Right. That's right. She actually doesn't just say, bring the blessing in the south wind. She says, no, if it produces more love in me for you, and we know now for your people, if it produces more love in me for them that wound me and reject me and hurt me and mistreat me and misunderstand me, uh, and in, in different parts of this narrative, abuse me. And that's such an intense, we talked about that last time. I just want to acknowledge that's intense. I don't want to minimize abuse in anyone's life. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to say get over it. That is not at all what we're trying to say. We're just trying to point at the one that went beyond abuse to being murdered by those that hated him. And there's something in the grace of God that filled him with the ability to love even his own murderers. He loved them. And that's, that's remarkable. There's something from another world. There's something from another place. From a man like him that's alive by the Spirit within us, that can empower what you called so well impossible love. It's impossible that I would love my abuser. I don't want to minimize the abuse. I want to maximize what's possible in in, in impossible love. And so to, to have her come to the place where she goes from despising discipline to inviting it into her life, I believe that there's a work of grace and a move of the Holy Spirit that's going to get us there. And again, I'm going to keep personalizing it. Let's have the three of us be the kind of representatives of at least our part of the body of Christ, our little small part, because we are the church. 
We are of one another's flesh, one another's bone, of his flesh, of his bones. We are joined together in the body by the Spirit. And so it is us. And as it is us, we can take that promise of 416 personally, that, that Dana, that Isaac, I can contend for you that there's a season in your life where you'll go beyond despising discipline or fearing discipline or misinterpreting discipline, which is most common, to fully inviting it into your life in the same way that we invite. Right. Well, I love what you said, he- healing and signs and wonders and the presence feeling God or weeping in the presence of God or even revelation, understanding the word. The Lord goes, I want you as enthusiastic about divine discipline as you are about my presence. That's such a challenging point. Right. Yeah, and it's easy to sign up for it before you're in the midst of that mistreatment, before your heart gets wounded, before, you know, all the things that happen in relationships and in the body and, you know, but that is what happens in the Song of Solomon. I mean, it's it's that she's she's experienced it, and even after all of that, it's that place of send the north winds, send the south winds. It's that whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And I love just opening up our vision. It's, it's the same chorus, the same song of how far will you let me go? It's not just how far will you let me go in knowing you, Jesus, and knowing your love. Of course, that's first. But I want to go to the depths. How far will you let me go in loving your church? Mm-hmm. And to have our hearts do that even after we've experienced some of the setbacks, some of the wounding, that's what the Lord's inviting us into. Or to quote another one of our beloved worship leaders, Olivia Buckles, I want you more. I want you most. Because there's lots of people that are listening going, you guys are out of touch. There is no way I'm going to wake up and want divine discipline. I'm not going to wake up and want to be mistreated. I'm not going to wake up and want the absence of your presence and your favor in my life that brings hard circumstances that tests my love. I'm not going to want that, and I don't think I'm ever going to enjoy that. And so if that's the standard for a fiery Christian, I'm just going to have to settle for lukewarm. And, um, and the issue is when I say enjoy and delight and pleasure and invite it, what I actually mean is a, a real clarity of perspective that says, of course I don't want that, but I don't want to be stuck here in my lovelessness even more. Right. Of course I don't want the removal of your presence, your, your favor, your blessing, your protection on my life. Of course I don't want that. But, but if I had to pick between don't wants, stuck here, my cold heart, riding off the body of Christ, coming short in my destiny, not touching the fullness of the love I was made for, and being stuck here in some kind of dull, cold, cold to others, self-justified, that to me is a fate worse than death. So it's like, so I guess I will choose death because it's like death. We say we want to choose the cross. We say we want death to self. And again, we say all these Christian ideas until they actually equal loving someone we don't want to love. And serving someone we don't want to serve and blessing someone we don't want to bless. It's all awesome and romantic until we actually, Isaac, your point, until we actually have to do it and we just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're resisting the discipline of the Lord, we're not a disciple. It's just that simple. 
Like to be a disciple of Jesus means that we will be disciplined by the teacher, by the master. Mm-hmm. They're fundamental. It's the, they're 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 enmeshed together. It's the same word, discipline, discipleship. And so I think you know a point that you brought up earlier, Dave, was that we often misunderstand the discipline of the Lord, right? So what happens at the end of 210 is she's going, I'm not ready to go with you yet, so you go. Uh, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> Things are comfortable. I'm, I like my Christian conferences and my sincerity and like, you know, just kind of sitting before Jesus and loving him, but I'm not good, like ready to love the the person and the church, the ministry that like that hurt me. So you go do what you're going to do. I mean, let's let's make it real. I'm not ready to love the white supremacist. I'm not ready to love my anti-vax cousin. I'm not ready to love my pro-vax cousin. I'm not ready to love the person that mocks me for my conspiracies. I'm not ready to love the person that has the conspiracies. I'm not ready to love the person that wants to waste my time with their crazy ideas about government and our president. Yeah. Republican or Democrat. I'm not I if you're telling me that impossible love equals I got to go serve that guy or then from our last conversation even worse that guy is now my active enemy hurting me, wounding me, making my life hard and I got to love that person. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. And then and then the Lord in his mercy, he begins to discipline her, us. Right. And in 310 or in in three, chapter three, you know, I sought him, but I did not find him. So the presence of the Lord begins to withdraw from our lives. And, And this is why I think this is so critical. You know, in the charismatic world, a lot of people use this language of like the Lord's presence is not there. So like I'm in a wilderness type of season right now. And maybe that's not language you're familiar with, but that's something that's talked about a lot in charismatic. Like, I'm in a wilderness season. So why are you in a wilderness season? Well, I'm in a wilderness season because of the calling and the destiny on my life, and the enemy is so against me, he put me in the wilderness. And it wasn't Pharaoh that put the children of Israel in the wilderness to address the issues of their heart and correct them, it was Yahweh. It was God. So God has actually withdrawn his presence, and he's put you, he's put me in various seasons of my life into a wilderness to address and correct the areas in my life that are undermining my love for Christ and my love for the body. And he's doing it on purpose. And so we're interpreting it as like the enemy is against me, and it's actually God He's resisting you. He's resisting. God will actually resist you. James tells us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So whenever our heart's in disagreement with him over his commands, over his command to love, like he begins actively resisting us in our life. It's called divine discipline. And if we don't understand that, then we're responding in a in an inappropriate way, a disproportionate way. Like if the Lord is resisting me, my issue is with God. If the enemy's resisting me, like my issue is with him. You know, I, I mean, I still appeal to the Lord, like Lord, deliver me, free me or whatever. But it's like, I think that so many people, the presence of God is withdrawn from their life. They don't hear God like they used to. They don't feel his presence like they used to. The word isn't sweet like it used to be. Prayer is boring. Worship is dry. All of these things, and they're trying to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. 
And it's like, no, you're actually under divine discipline from the Lord. The Lord's addressing areas in your heart where you're probably sincere. Like you probably want to love people in the way that Jesus loves them, but you're not. And there's a huge gap in my mind between sincerity and then actually doing it. Like the Lord doesn't reward ultimately sincerity as much as actually doing it as faithful obedience. Like if you're in a race and you're running, you don't get the prize if it's like I attempted to finish the race. Like I <laughs> 10 miles out from the finish line, like I stopped and be, the people were like, well, okay, well, you're out. And it's like, well, I want the prize. Like this is the YMCA. Like I want the prize. It's like, well, you don't get the prize. Well, why don't I get the prize? Because you didn't finish the race. Well, I meant to finish the race. Well, that's fantastic. We love you. Next time there's a race, like finish it. You know what I mean? Like there's a huge difference between sincerity and actually walking in obedient love. And he's calling the body of Christ. We got to walk in obedient love before him. He goes, or I'm going to withdraw my presence to get your attention. Yeah, let's, let's uh, stay right there for a second with the withdrawing of his presence. It would be good to really define divine discipline, what we mean when we say that. And what do we mean when we say withdraw the presence? Because you talked about the charismatic church, you know, and it's modern charismatic understanding, not just language. To withdraw the presence equals, uh, like how uh, you said it, the wilderness season, boredom, frustration. But, but we, we, all three of us know, Solomon was not a modern charismatic. And when he talks about the withdrawing of God's presence, he's not talking about it in a modern spirit, you know, experience with the Holy Spirit sense. He's, right. not, he's not thinking the Holy Spirit goes somewhere else and I can't feel God. And that's the discipline. Divine discipline is something a little more intense, actually. Divine discipline, you know, using the Old Testament concept, the, the prayer that they would pray, Lord, shine the light of your face. Shine the light of your countenance on my life. I want, I want your face. I'm seeking your face. What did they mean by that in the ancient context? And, of course, they understood that if the countenance of the Lord was shining on your life, if His face was towards you, then that meant that the divine protection of the Lord, the divine blessing of the Lord, the divine favor of the Lord, blessed circumstances. Right. Right. It means, you know, like, like Obed-Edom, the Ark of the Covenant is in his house, the face of God, the, 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 the brilliance of God's presence shining on his family with favor equals, boom, abundance. It equals plenty. It means that, that the stuff you try works, and the people that you can't get a meeting right. with call you. and The, the, the sheep multiply. Yeah. The rain comes down. You know, your crops aren't dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Pentateuch in particular has an idea of the presence of God as this conduit of a blessed life mm-hmm. in which just things work. It just works. Your relationships work. There's oil. There's favor. There's open doors of opportunity. It, th- that's more how they're thinking of the face of God shining on your life. And so when they're saying, God, shine your face on us, they're saying, make our life work, make our crops work, make our money work, make our family work. Yeah. And so if God is to hide his face, don't hide your face from me or don't remove your face. If God was to hide his face, it meant Assyria invades. Right. It meant that Babylon invades. There were dire consequences to God hiding his face from his people, that lifting of divine blessing and favor actually equals some pretty negative circumstances. Mm-hmm. So then what's the New Testament correlation to that idea? And it would be Romans 1. It would be 
Matthew 7, 7, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks, everyone, not just believers. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And if you knock on a door that is opposed to God's will, the way that he resists you, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, he resists you by allowing you to open that door without him. Hmm. He, Romans 1, hands you over. He gives you up. In other words, in a contest of wills, my will versus yours, my way versus your way, God disciplines me in the most terrifying way possible. He lets me get my way. Yeah. 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 You knock, and the Lord's going, I wouldn't knock on that door. And disobedience, you know, sincerity without follow through. I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to knock on this door. I really want this opportunity. In the charismatic world, we so interpret these open doors as blessing and favor, and it doesn't even occur to us that there are many open doors in our life, not demonic open doors, opportunity Mm -hmm. that are divine discipline. I will let that door open. I'll allow it. Right. I will hand you over to that opportunity until you see it my way. I'm not going to make you see it my way. Right. I want to win you to love my way, but I need you to hate yours. And you're not going to hate your way until I let you have your way as a form of discipline. So I will hide my face, Old Testament term, or remove my presence. And when I do, you'll get your way. In Song of Solomon 2... She gets to stay, and he's gone. Yeah. Right. I'll let you have your way. I won't make you come with me. Remember back in the, uh, the 1970s, the way that parents who used to punish their kids for smoking <laughs> cigarettes? Like if they caught their kids smoking today, it'd be like, you're grounded for three weeks from your phone. You know, back then, they'd make them smoke the entire pack just sitting there. That's the, the, the kind of principle, I think, that you're wow. talking about. It's, I'm going to actually give you what you want. And you're going to see, it's like, it's like the guy in his marriage, he's like, I'm going to do the marriage without the help of the Lord, without humility and without the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's like, okay, like go for it. And then, and then you begin to reap the fruit of that, of, not, of no dependence upon God, of no wisdom from God and how to love and care for your wife. The presence of the Lord lifts off of you. And he's like, yeah, like do it your way. Not in a mean way. I mean, I'm, I'm communicating it like in a harsh way, but like, yeah, do it your way. And then you're going to reap the fruit of that. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. Yeah, the most terrifying judgment from Genesis 3 all the way to Ezekiel 3. The most terrifying judgment possible as from a Hebrew, from a Hebrew understanding is life without God. That, that you doing life on your own without me and without my help is the most terrifying judgment. Yeah. And so the, the person that is going, I'll, I'll do this, I'll, I'll figure this out. I mean, just even legalism itself, the very nature of legalism, I will do the Sermon on the Mount without you. Yeah. I will, and you just end up with this choking form of religion that chokes the life out of you. And the Lord goes, I have life and love and joy and pleasure for you, but you insist on doing this on your own. Mm -hmm. Again, I want you to love my way and hate your way, but I can't get you to hate your way until I let you have it. Yeah. It also then shows his forbearance because he's saying, I'll do this as long as it takes. I'll let you linger there and get to the place where you actually say, Oh, I'm wrong. You're right. 
you know, it's the broken pride. It, mm. He's breaking us. He's wearing us down until um, we can finally be responsive. And he's willing, but, but it isn't his rejection. It's his forbearance. It's love suffering long, going, I love you too much to leave you alone. So I'm going to give you over to that thing long enough that you begin to see and despise it and turn from it and turn to me. I mean, it's, it really is love. Yeah. I just can't help but of the trajectory of the Western church in light of this. I mean, the Lord's just going, you, if you want to build churches without me and build community without me and win the loss without me, like I'll let you do that. So you can come up with all these human inventions of programs and process and psychology and pushing the right marketing buttons and pulling the right levers. Leadership of, books of desire within the human heart, publish a million leadership books. They're the exact same as the world, right? There's no difference. You just take what works, you know, for a CEO and, and make it a pastor. And it's like, I'm going to pull all these levers in order to like make church life work. Cause now church is a business and the Lord's just like, I'm going to give you that in, in Western America if you need. Oh yeah. Then I'm going to send in something like COVID and wreck all of your systems and the way that you do life and the way that you do fellowship and ministry and the need for power and healing and deliverance, you're not going to have because you've, you've, you've not needed me for so long. Yeah, I've talked to a number of pastors now that are in their I hate pastoring season. Like, it's, this is a difficult season to pastor because COVID suddenly exposes... Well, it split their church right? almost from day one. Right. <laughs> then the aftermath of COVID and all the controversies, whether they, they be racial controversy, whether they be vaccination and governmental controversies, it's been one argument after another. Right. This has to be one of the hardest seasons I've seen for pastoral ministry in the West, in America, and, and I'm sure elsewhere, Australia, England. I, I yeah, hear it from pastors abroad. 2,000 pastors a month were resigning in 2020. My goodness, that's a real stat. Yeah, it's a real stat. 2,000 pastors a month. A yeah, month? From, from like Barna, one of the research, research things, yeah. 2,000 a month? Yeah. That's unthinkable. It's a lot. Well, I mean, it's 24,000 pastors last year. That's Yeah, and, and like you said, you know, first it's, it's COVID and is this of God, is this not, is this this, is this that. Then you have wow. the whole medical thing, then you have the racial hostility and that and that being so polarizing. Then you have the vaccinations, then you have the masks, then you have the political fray that happened. It's like, what in the world is going on? And, and so many, you know, obviously, a lot of people were just going, this is not worth it anymore to do this. Like, why am I doing this? Which, which I mean, my goodness, it, it brings us all the way back. The church as she is right now, and 24,000 pastors are saying, I can't do this. But the Lord goes, but... But I want to do this with you. I want to. I want to. I want you to find me again, and I want to bring you into my love for those people that can't stop arguing. Yeah. I mean, the Lord would go, "Hey, if you think that your American congregation is complex right now, imagine leading Israel through the wilderness. There is no more difficult people than a post-captivity Hebrew." in the wilderness with tons of ideas on how it should go. I'm thinking about your cigarette point. You know, your cigarette point, of course you know, it's in the wilderness that they decide we want quail. Mm. And the Lord goes, okay. Right. You want quail <laughs> more than you want me. Yeah, I'm going to give you so much 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to come through your nostrils. You will despise it. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's divine discipline. That's, it's, it's the God that we love that loves us, but the challenge, Dana, is seeing that moment that Isaac described with the cigarettes or that Moses endured with the quail. How do we see that as not rejection? How do we see that as love and, and tenderness and graciousness? The Lord God gracious, the Lord God slow to anger, the Lord God rich in mercy is the God that disciplined that way. How do we change our orientation when the discipline seems so intense? I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is to know this is not a surprise to him. <laughs> What's hitting us as a surprise is not a surprise to him. He loved us. He enjoyed us long before we had this revelation of uh, this, this kind of like standstill that we're in. But also it's he has somewhere so beautiful to take us, and he's so committed to it. He's so jealous over it. So his heart's not distant. He's not drawing back from us in this moment. He's going, I love you. This is a surprise to you. It's not a surprise to me. And so in that moment, can you look, look into my eyes? Am, am I rejecting you right now? Am I? Have the conversation with me. Am I standing at a distance from you? No. I know who you are. There's, I, I know everything that you see right now and far more, and I know where you're going by my grace. And so it's just leaning into that heart of Jesus. He's not rejecting us. He's doing everything that's needed. And it, it's, it's the least severe means to accomplish the greatest amount of love. Like, he's not overdoing it. Like, we could trust that. Mm. He's not actually, we're never going to get to the place on the sea of glass and go, you overdid that discipline. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be that harsh. And really, when it feels harsh, we could actually say, oh, the adversaries of my soul are greater than I think. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I trust you. I don't even see what you're dealing with at the level that you do, but wow, okay. And, and it's not too severe. It, we will say just and true. Mm. It was perfect. It was perfect. And just leaning into that, leaning into his heart, leaning into that future. He is good and he is safe. And he knows what he's doing. Yes. So I want to I wanna end with this. In the same way that I set up the last episode and this episode with a little bit of a cliffhanger, I've got another cliffhanger that I want to say to set up the next episode. And the cliffhanger, actually, it isn't my idea or statement. It's yours, Isaac. You said, and we just kind of, all three of us kind of let it go. <laughs> but it's a giant statement, and we need to talk about it. And I think it's worth a conversation. You said the American church is currently under divine discipline. I just want to confirm you said that. Yes. <laughs> so, you believe that? Yes. Right now, in this season, the American church is under divine discipline. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about that. That's a big and important statement, and it's a great place to go because we we're saying we want to take the Song of Solomon and we want to apply it personally and devotionally, but it's also a picture of where we're going together as a church. And if the American church right now is in Song of Solomon 3, I want to grapple with that a bit and not just say it is. And I want to figure out our way forward. So we'll do that in our next episode. But for now, thank you for joining us this week. 
We hope that this conversation was a, a blessing to you. It was a blessing to me. I, I feel encouraged. We talked about discipline for 30 minutes, but I feel stirred and tender and thankful to the Lord, thankful that He's not going to leave us alone, and thankful that He buys into our fullness too much to leave us in our passivity and compromise. And so I, I love Him for that. But until next time, I want to encourage you to, to subscribe, to stay connected to this channel, whichever channel you're listening to us on, whether it be Spotify or iTunes or, or a different platform. I want to encourage you to subscribe and stay connected, and, and you'll be the first to know when the next episode comes out. Until then, thank you again. See you next time. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IHOPKC Family Connect podcast. Consider subscribing if you haven't, and follow us on social media for other content from IHOPKC.